being excited about people. I mean, all through Jesus' life, we see Jesus being excited about people. I mean, he spent time, intimate time, with people. Everywhere he went, everything he did, he spent time with people. He showed up in their houses, he shared dinner, he walked on the roads with them. Jesus loved people. And it's why I really think the church is, is how, the vehicle for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's why God chose the church to be the vehicle, because the church is about loving people. You know, we've made all kinds of mistakes with the church over the centuries, and we've turned churches into buildings and into places, but we are much the church when we gather here in the park as we are when we gather in some building that we built made of bricks. I mean, the church is the gathered people of God. The Greek word for church is almost exclusively in the New Testament is the word ekklesia, which means gathering of people. It actually doesn't mean building or place. You can't go to and leave church. The church is the gathered people, and I love that picture. Well, I was thinking about what we were doing and what's happening in the park, and, I, and as I was thinking through these things, I was really struck with life. I was really struck with the complicated kind of difficulties that life kind of throws at, at me personally and really throws at us. And, and I'm not really struck with the idea that life is, is complicated or difficult or hard. I mean, that is life. But I'm really struck with personally how fast it all sort of piles up on top of me. And, you know, things are going well or they seem to be going okay. And, and before you know it, it just feels like you've kind of been swept downstream with stuff. I mean, you know, you got that project coming up or, or work is, is really hard or you're possibly facing termination or somehow you get that power bill and it's $150 more than you thought it was going to be or you find out your, your mom's just been diagnosed with cancer or your son shows up after five years or your wife walks out or, or something happens and, and before you know it, life is just sort of piling on top of you. And it's not that everything is going horrifically wrong. It's just that you find yourself in a place where maybe you're, you're passionless or you're empty or you're longing or you're worried or you're just sort of overcome with distractions. And, and, and it's certainly me. I mean, God, life just has a way of, of sweeping into me. And before I know it, I'm going, Lord, how did I end up this far downstream? I mean, it seems like just yesterday things were, were going really well, and now I just feel buried by, by financial pressure. I feel buried by, by getting kids back and forth to school and projects and soccer practice and, and work and life, and, and I just somehow am wrapped up in it. And I don't know why you're here this morning. I don't know if you're here because you got a flyer, because you're here, your best friend dragged you in and made you come, or they promised you that we'd have hot dogs or whatever. I don't know why you're here. But we're all here for some different reason or different purpose. But the truth is, God meets us in the middle of our lives, in the middle of those complicated, distracted lives that we live all the time. That's the promise of God. And this morning, we're going to take just a few moments, and we're going to look at a very famous story, one that we're all familiar with. And it's a story about life, but it's really a story about what matters most. And so before we open God's word together, we're going to actually pray and just pray that God would open our hearts and illuminate our minds that he might show us who he is. So let's pray together and then we're going to dive into God's word for a few minutes together this morning. Lord, I thank you for every soul in this place, for every heart that's gathered here. God, I thank you for the ones that I know deeply and I thank you for the ones that I just met this morning. I thank you, God, that you are bigger than any of the things that we know that you brought us all here for a purpose this morning, and that, God, you are going to speak to our hearts because you are God. And, Lord, whether we're wrestling or struggling this morning with whatever life may be throwing at us or telling us or whatever people in our life may be trying to convince us of, Lord, we know that your voice is the voice of truth. And so, God, we ask that you would speak to us through your word this morning, maybe in a way that we weren't ready for and maybe in a way that will really surprise us. 
Take just a second and in your own heart, without saying anything out loud, just ask God to show you who he is. Just whisper that in your heart. God, this morning, show me who you are. God, we love you and we thank you for Jesus. Amen. You know, I was, before we get into this, I was thinking, you know, for a lot of us, this is not our paradigm of church. I mean, gathered here under a tent, some guy out there cooking wieners, you know, and gathered here with people that don't look like me or that maybe don't come from my neighborhood or, you know, there's no Sunday school classes. I mean, this is not, for a lot of us, this is not our paradigm of church, which is kind of why I really love it. I love the fact that we're gathered here from all walks of life with all different types of things under this little tent getting ready to share a meal together and celebrate. And I just love this picture of church. So let God break your paradigms this morning and just give you a different picture of who he is and how he moves. Because I really do think that we'll be radically surprised. Well, the story we're going to look at the story this morning is the story of Mary and Martha. And it's one that a lot of us are familiar with. We're familiar with it because we've been taught about it in Sunday school or maybe we've heard those those names, and it's a story about, at least we've been taught, it's a story about busyness versus kind of choosing the right things. But I thought we'd look at it this morning as a way of looking at life and a way of looking at what really matters. And the story comes from the book of Luke, chapter uh, 10, starting in verse 38. So if you've got a Bible and want to follow along, you can. If not, I got mine, so that's good. We're going to be in the book of Luke, chapter 10, verse 38. This is God's word, and it says this As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, Somewhere, we're not real sure where, but as they were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Her, she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and she asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, Jesus answered, you are worried and upset about many things. But only one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, most of us are familiar with the story, because as the story goes, Jesus is coming into town, and a woman by the name of Martha opens up her home and says, come have dinner at my house. Now, Jesus never traveled alone. All the time through Scripture, we see him at least with 12, but usually, usually with dozens more than that. Anytime Jesus showed up in a town, people came out in droves. And all the time, we see people packing into windows and into doors, trying to catch a glimpse of Jesus. So it's not like Martha said, hey, Jesus, come into my house, and I'm going to make you a, a cup of noodles, right? And you can have dinner here. When I invite Jesus into my house, I invite the 12 plus the 12 plus the 12 plus the Pharisees who were around and people that want to hear from him. I mean, this was a house full of people. We know that Jesus had a really interesting relationship with Mary and Martha. They were sisters, and he loved them dearly. And Mary and Martha had actually had a brother named Lazarus who Jesus loved very deeply as well. So we know that they had these relationships. And, and Martha opens up her home, and she says, Come with me. Come have dinner at my house. And so Martha's making all these preparations, and it says that her sister Mary is just sitting there at the feet of Jesus. And Martha gets kind of frustrated, and she goes over to Jesus, and she says, don't you care, Lord, don't you care that I'm making all these preparations and my sister is, is just sitting right here at your feet? And, and, and Jesus replies to her, he says, Martha, Martha, he goes, you're so distracted and upset about so many things, but Mary's chosen what matters, right? She's chosen the, the one thing that's better, and I'm not going to take that away from her. 
Now, if you're like me, you've heard probably in your church experience, if you have any church experience, you've heard a lot of sermons preached on Mary and Martha. You've heard a lot of Sunday school lessons taught about Mary and Martha. And I've heard my share of messages and and sermons and um, Sunday school lessons taught kind of from this angle, that Martha's really doing a lot of things wrong. I mean, here's Jesus in her house. She has the opportunity to sit with him and be with him, and yet she gets so distracted in the preparation, she sort of misses the whole deal. Yet Mary, the perfect sister, gets it right. She picks Jesus, which is the Sunday school answer for all things. If you're ever in Sunday school at church and someone asks you a question, just say, Jesus. And you know what? You probably got it right. My, my kids have learned that well. And so I, we read the Bible the other night, and I say, I say, Cooper, who is he talking about? And he goes, Jesus. And it's usually right. So we know... That, uh, that we can just, well, that's what Mar- Mary does. She chooses Jesus. She sits at his feet. And so we've heard those messages preached about Mary who chose right and Martha who really sort of blew it. But I really tend to take a different angle at this story because if you really look at it closely, Martha doesn't do anything really wrong. I mean, really, she does everything right. Jesus comes into town, and what does she do? She says, come, stay at my house. Now, Jesus didn't have his own place, so really having him over for dinner really meant having him over to stay. And she says, come, stay at my house. Not only can you stay, but you can bring those 12 guys that roll around with you and everybody else that comes, and I will cook dinner for you. So Martha says, here's Jesus. I'm going to let him stay at my house, and I'm going to cook dinner for him. I mean, it's not like she's selling drugs out of her house or beating children. It's not like she's a horrible person. It's not like she's doing a lot of things wrong. She is cooking dinner for Jesus. I mean, in all the things you could do, that's a pretty good deal. You know, I mean, of all things you can do with your time, cooking dinner for Jesus, that's got to be up here somewhere, right? So she's doing the right thing. She's opened up her home. She says, my house is your house. Jesus is sitting and reclining in her home and he's talking. I mean, what has she really done wrong? I mean, Martha doesn't do a lot wrong. It's not like we can hold her up as the example of, you cannot live this way. Don't any of you ever open up your home and cook dinner for Jesus. I mean, she was doing it somewhat right. But something goes kind of wrong. I mean, somewhere along the way, something happens. And I really think there's there's two things that we see in this text where Martha kind of misses life. The first one comes out of verse 40. Actually, I think they both come out of verse 40. And it says this, it says, But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Now, cooking dinner, any of you ever had people over from your house, you know, cooking dinner for two, not that big a deal. Cooking dinner for 100 changes the game a little bit, right? There are a lot of preparations that have to be made. And back in the day, it's not like you could just sort of fire up the gas grill and, you know, I mean, I'm sure it was like a, some kind of pot of something and maybe some bread. I mean, it wasn't like they were eating fancy fancy, but nonetheless, she had to do it all herself. And she gets distracted. Look, look at that word. Martha gets distracted by what? By the preparations. She gets distracted by the good things that she's doing. Now, I bet some of you didn't even really know that was possible to get distracted by all the good things you're doing, by all the things that are going right. Martha gets distracted by life. Martha gets so busy cooking dinner for Jesus, she seems to forget that Jesus is in her house. See, the picture to me really is this is what happens to us all the time. We're not doing horrible things, or maybe we're not doing the things as bad as our neighbor's doing, or maybe our life's a little bit more kind of well put together, but it gets distracting. We get caught up in it. We get caught up in work, in life, in our kids, and getting these things done and taking care of preparations for our sick mother or for our ailing father or for all the things that life has to offer. Maybe those things are church and maybe they're whatever. 
but they become distracting. And we miss the picture that's right in front of us. We miss the picture of what's happening. You see, Martha gets distracted by life. She just gets distracted. Now, it's not the end of the world. It's not the greatest sin ever. It's not like they toss her out on the street, but she gets distracted. And the problem with her distraction is that it leads to bitterness. Listen to what she says. She says this, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made, and she came to him, Jesus, and she said this, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now, you can almost hear Martha walking up to Jesus and going, don't you care about me? I am working my tail off. It's been four hours of slaving over this pot of something, and and my sister, who was doing nothing, is just sitting there. Don't you care? See, she lets her distraction get turned to bitterness, because you can almost hear it in her voice. She's bitter, and not only is she just bitter, she's bitter at her sister, who's sitting on her duff, doing nothing, and I'm cooking dinner for a hundred people, and she, what does she do? Instead of looking at Mary, going, you are worthless, she looks at Jesus, and she says, you don't care about me. And I don't know about you, but man, there are so many times in my life that I've let the distractions of what happened to me turn into bitterness, that I've been working my tail off. Maybe, maybe you're working two jobs. Maybe you're doing everything you can to make financial ends meet, and that bum that lives two doors down from you does nothing and falls head over heels into money all the time, right? And maybe you look at God and you say, don't you care about me? Haven't you, have you forgotten me? I mean, God, I am working my tail off and and I'm trying to be clean and I'm trying to live sober and I'm trying to make right decisions and I'm trying to raise my kids well and I'm trying not to punch my neighbor in the mouth. I'm doing all these things and, and you seem to have forgotten me, God. And we allow our distractions to turn into bitterness. And I can't tell you how many times that we've gathered here in the park or that we've gathered at church. I spent time with someone and someone's just come up and said, Treb or Pastor, listen, man, my life is bad or it's turned bad and I'm frustrated and angry. You see, Martha wasn't doing bad things. She just let life get the best of her. She let the distractions of life that sneak up and sort of compound, she let those things turn into bitterness. Now, I don't know, maybe you're here this morning, maybe you, you're going, man, I feel that. I feel that struggle. I feel like God has forgotten me. I feel like I'm alone. I feel like that it's one thing after another, after another, after another. And just when I think I'm coming up to breathe, it's like a tidal wave of stuff just knocks me over. And sometimes those things are big and sometimes they're just small, but they amount to something that's huge. And maybe you're here this morning and all you can think about is that project you've got this dude at work tomorrow. All you can think about is the fact that you've got a mom or a father that you've got to take care of and you don't really know what to do with them. Or maybe you've got to think, I've got bills due or I've got to go to court. I've I got things. Maybe you're distracted and it's really easy to let those distractions turn into frustration and bitterness. But I love Jesus' response to Martha. Martha says, Lord, don't you care about me? Tell her to help me. And Jesus says what? He says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. You see, I think Jesus saw through it all. He saw through the fact that it wasn't just making preparations for dinner. What does he say to her? You are worried and upset about many things. See, I think Martha had let life build up to where this was sort of that last straw where she's just like, I can't take it. And what does Jesus say? He says, you've let life and worries and being upset, you've let them affect who you are. 
and you've let them affect, affect what matters. You know, most of us, it's not the one thing we're facing that's so hard. It's all the things that came before it. It's not the fact that yesterday you learned this about this or you heard this from him. I mean, it's the fact that yesterday just sort of be the, be, was the one thing that jumped on top of the 50 things from the past six months or the four things or that other one thing or whatever it is. I mean, somewhere along the way, we look at Martha's life and we say, if we want to be real honest, it's me. I get distracted. I get swept up in life. I turn bitter and angry and hurtful and I say things that I shouldn't. And you know what the point is? Is that it's not, who is that? Somebody do something and come in for us. <laughs> Raise your hand. It's not that, uh, that life is all that hard. It's just that I get so caught up and upset and worried about all those things. So what does Jesus say? He says, listen, your sister has chosen what's better, and I'm not going to take it from her. And you know what brings two real questions to my mind, which is what did Mary choose, and why is it better? I mean, Jesus says your sister Mary, she chose what's better. Well, what was she doing? She was sitting on her bottom at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus would sit in this chair, or he would recline at the table, and he would teach. And it says right at the beginning that she sat at his feet, and she listened to him. So what does Mary choose? She chooses, in simple answers, she chooses Jesus. She recognized in the middle of all the chaos and preparations that had to be made and the dinner that had to be cooked, she realized that Jesus was standing and sitting in her home and she wasn't going to miss this moment. And so she chose Jesus over all the distractions of life. And why is that better? Well, I'm really struck by this. In the Gospel of John, Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples. And his disciples are, are, are worried because Jesus had just told them that he's getting ready to be taken from this world. He's getting ready to basically be crucified. And he tells his disciples, he says, I'm getting ready to go. And they start getting worried. And Jesus says, listen, I want to comfort you by saying this. Okay? I want to comfort you by saying this. I am, Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So you want to know why Mary chooses what's better is because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And the last part of that sentence is this, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Mary chooses what's better because Jesus isn't a man. He's not just some great moral teacher that walks around talking about extreme things like love your neighbor. He's not just some moral teacher that walks around and says, hey, don't kill people. Jesus isn't just some traveling rabbi. Jesus is God's son in the flesh who says, I am the answer to all of life. I am the way, the way we're called to live, the way we're called to reflect, the way we're called to love. I am the truth. In a world that tries to sell you a bill of goods that is garbage, in a world that tries to tell you that everything else is truth, Jesus says, truth is in a person and it is me. And I am the life. And in a world that tells us life is found in other things, that it's found in people and relationships, it's found in a bottle, it's found in work, it's found in all these things. In a world that says life is this, Jesus says, you want to be honest? I am life. And the only way to God, the Father, is through me. What does that mean? It means the only way to eternal life, to having abundant life here on earth and eternal life in heaven, is through Jesus, which leaves you and I with one huge question, and that is this. What do we do with the person of Jesus Christ? Is Jesus that person that you were taught about in church or had the picture on the wall at your grandma's house where the moon was kind of over his head or the halo thing and, and you saw it and she hung it there all of her life? I mean, my grandma had one right over her bed. Kind of spooked me out at night. 
And Jesus was white, and he was looking at me, and I thought, I, can't, I don't like that picture of Jesus. I mean, maybe that's who Jesus is to you. Maybe he's that person that you're constantly trying to run from because you know he's going to figure out all the things that you've done wrong. Or maybe he's that person that you've been trying to impress by trying to live morally and just not talking about the things you don't. By when you come to church, you put on really nice clothes, partly to cover up from the fact that you don't want everyone to know what's going on inside of here. See, the question for you and I is what we do with the person of Jesus Christ. I believe that God loves you and I so deeply, and I believe the Bible is so clear about this, that he loves us so deeply, so greatly, that he sent his son Jesus, who was not only fully God, but fully man, to die for our sin so that we might have eternal life. That this world has no answers for our problem. That the only answer for our problem, our struggle, our sin, the things that we do wrong, all the garbage that we wagged into this tent this morning, all the emotional baggage, all the physical struggle, all the addiction, all the things, all the waffling, whatever it is, all that stuff, the only answer to it is the fact that we need Jesus. And Jesus looks at, at Martha and he says, your, your sister Mary, she chose what matters. And I'm not taking it from her. This morning, you have the opportunity, literally, to choose what matters in life. You have, to choose, you have the ability to choose that. You can choose to say, God, I believe you love me, and I believe you care for me, and I believe you want more for my life than this thing that I've sort of shown you and given you. I believe you want my heart. And I know some of you are here this morning because I've already visited with you. You're here at the very end of your rope. You're done. You don't know how to do one more thing. You don't know how to take one more thing. You kind of came here at a last-ditch effort to say, I'm just tired. And some of you are here and you're empty and you're longing and you've covered a life that looks so successful from the outside, but there's an emptiness inside of you that you just can't explain. And I can promise you this, the answer to both of those situations is a relationship with Jesus Christ. God is the only answer. He will be the only thing that fills a void in our heart. And this morning, I want you to deal with that question, what do I do with Jesus? Maybe you've never given your life to Christ. Maybe you've never prayed and said, Jesus, I want you to take my heart. I want to surrender to you. I want to give you my heart this morning. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe you're here this morning and you're going, man, for whatever reason, someone is speaking to my heart. And I can promise you this. It is God moving in you. It has nothing to do with me. I'm just a tool up here, kind of a goose. God is that big that he's speaking to you this morning, telling you, listen, don't let life distract you and turn you bitter and remove you from what really counts, which is a life that follows me. As we continue in worship this morning, we're going to have men and women from our prayer team that are out here. If you've got something going on in your life and you're just saying, you know what? I really don't know what to do. Let us pray for you. Let us pray over you. Let us lay our hands on you. We're not going to do some kind of magic tricks or anything like that. We're just going to pray over you. And we would consider it a great privilege to do so. Maybe you're here this morning and you said, Pastor, I have never given my life to Christ. And I know right now that you are speaking to me because I know I need to give my life to Jesus. Come down front while we're singing. I'm going to be right over here and come pray with me. And I will talk to you about how to enter into a relationship with Jesus. It's really easy. And God wants that for you so deeply. He wants you to understand the love he has for you. And he wants you to know him intimately. This morning, we have the opportunity to celebrate this incredible love by continuing together in, uh, in worship, by continuing to sing. And, and I challenge you that whatever you're struggling with, just to let it go, turn it loose. Sing at the top of your lungs, come down and get prayed over and say, maybe God, you have been bringing me down this road to show up right here in the middle of this place, under this tent, in my life this morning. 
Because somewhere along the way, I've gone, I've just kind of got lost. And I found myself down the river and I want to come back. I want a passion and a fire. I want to be less distracted and really focused on you. And God, I'm tired of being bitter. Maybe that's you. Or maybe this morning you're just saying, God, I need you. I'm done running. I'm done running. Jesus, I need you and I want to be set free. Come down this morning. Let us, let us pray for you and over you. We consider it a great privilege. But let's stand together as I close this in prayer.